So, like I said, we're going to look at the third chapter of Philippians. And just to remind you, to give you some context of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Right, so we've seen Paul, he's been in prison for about four and a half years at this point. Prisons back then weren't like they were today. Prisoners were responsible to fend for themselves. Prisoners were responsible to provide for themselves while they were in prison. So one of the main things that happened is prisoners starved to death because they didn't have anybody out there to take care of them. The church in Philippi loved Paul because he had planted that church 10 years before. So they sent, I'm going to mispronounce it, I know, Epaphrodus. That's wrong, but I promise you it's good. we're going to come back to it. Um, with a financial gift for Paul, and he was to remain with him and to take care of him while he was in prison. This letter from Paul to the Philippians is a letter of encouragement and thanks for the gift and for the help. In chapter 3, we see Paul talking about the transformative power of Jesus. Let's look at the heart of the chapter. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Philippians 3. We're going to start off at verse 7 where it says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Because what Christ has done, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of the dead. See, my family knows that one of my favorite dishes is what we call meat and taters right? Sausage and taters. All it is is smothered down smoked sausage and potatoes with a little bit of onions put in the mix, right? Nothing fancy. Nothing fancy. I, I'm just, I don't like all the frills. I'm just real fancy. No, nothing real fancy, right? And we were sitting down talking with the kids the other day and I was teaching them how to say taters instead of potatoes. They kept saying it was sausage and potatoes. I said, no, you got to say it right or you can't eat it. Sausage and taters, Right? So I got him to say taters like a good country kid, right? So if I had to boil down Christianity to only the meat and the taters, I could begin and end with these verses here. Because see, we see Paul talking about a before Christ. Then he talks about an acceptance of Christ. Then he talks about a transformative life because of Christ. And then he talks about a hope for the future and eternity with Christ. So if we boiled it down, that's what we're looking at about Christianity. That's the path we're taking. We know there was a before. We know that there's an after. We know what happened in the, in the middle. And we know where we're looking forward to going. Chapter 3 is loaded with spiritual gold to be mined. And when Pastor Jamie gave me chapter 3 and we're talking about the series in Philippians... 
it was, it was, it was a challenge. It was a huge challenge. Because a whole series could be done just on chapter 3. He said, no, nah, I need you to sum it down until one weekend. I said, well, thank you for that blessing. Um, so what I'm going to try to do today is we're going to try to mine as much of that gold as we can out of this chapter. Because there's so much there for us. So we're going to start off with verse 1 where it says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your faith. Four and a half years. At this point, Paul had been in prison for about four and a half years. And still, the theme of joy and rejoicing in the Lord runs throughout this letter. In the beginning of this series, Pastor Jamie talked to us about Paul's purpose-driven attitude. Remember verse 12 out of chapter 1 where Paul says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Paul had purpose in his life. He loved serving the Lord. What's your source of joy? Where do you find your joy? Do you let your circumstances dictate the amount of joy that you have in your life? Because Paul didn't. Paul rejoiced in the Lord regardless of his situation. He had no trouble expressing his joy for the Lord in or out of prison. He found his purpose in the kingdom and he kept pushing on, rejoicing in his work. It was important to him that the church in Philippi know that the joy from the good news of the gospel was just as true today while he was sitting in prison as it was when he was there 10 years before planning their church. The good news didn't change. His circumstances did, but the good news didn't change. See, I've heard it said that you are either a thermometer, only reflecting the temperature of your situation you're in, or you're a thermostat, setting the mood, setting the temperature, and affecting its change. You have a choice to make. You can either let your situation dictate how you're reacting to it, or you can react to it knowing that that situation doesn't provide your joy, that situation does not your source of happiness, that situation is merely something that you're going through. And to constantly seek out your source of joy. See, Paul knew the source of his joy. And it wasn't the world around him. And it couldn't be found in the flesh. That brings us to verses 2 and 3. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship in the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done. We put no confidence in the human flesh. You ever look for something so hard that you miss it because it's not the same color, it's not the same shape, it's not the same something, and you know you put it down there, but I was thinking of a tape measure. I knew I set down my blue tape measure. 
and lo and behold, it was a yellow one. And I was looking all over for my blue one, and I totally missed it, right? That happens all the time. Now imagine a religious community that was so wrapped up in their traditions and the laws that they missed the Messiah that they prayed so hard for. They prayed so hard for the coming of the Messiah, but he didn't look what they expected him to look like. He didn't talk like they expected him to talk. They expected a military Messiah. They expected someone to come in and to take over from the Romans. They didn't expect Jesus. The Jewish people had reached a point in their traditions and laws that their laws not only took the place of God himself, but it became more important than him in their lives. There was no relationship with God. It was all legalism. Everything that they did was going through the motions and fulfilling the law and doing exactly what the law said, and that was it. They never reached out for a relationship. In these verses, Paul confronts a growing heresy within the church and warns against it. See, there was a group of Jewish Christians that would come in, especially to Gentile churches. And they would tell them that Jesus wasn't enough. That in order to truly be a Christian, you had to do an outward change. You had to become Jewish. You had to start following Jewish customs. You had to start following Jewish law. And you had to be circumcised. Well, the thing is, is that that went against the Gentiles' beliefs. So all of a sudden, you have these new believers that are following what Paul is teaching them, and there's churches being planted, and they're being told that that's good, and Paul only gave you half of the gospel. Paul only brought you halfway. What you need is you need Jesus plus. You need a little bit more than what Jesus has to offer on his own. These Judaizers are the ones that Paul calls dogs in this passage. It's quite ironic when you look at it because that was the favorite derogatory remark that the Jews would use against the Gentiles. They would say that they were dogs. They were less than human. That's why it wasn't good enough just to be a Gentile and Jesus wasn't enough. Oh no, you had to be a Jew to be a true Christian. But just like dogs, these Judaizers couldn't let go of the very thing that was making them sick. Even in the presence of the gospel, they were returning to their old ways. The comfort of familiarity was too great of a temptation for them to completely let go of it. It reminds me of Proverbs 26, 11, where it says, As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. The religiosity that had caused them to miss the Messiah in the first place was now causing them to miss the redeeming quality of the gospel and the transforming power of Jesus. They were still thinking that if they wore the right clothes, worshipped in the right temples, hung out with the right people, and changed their outward appearance, that it was enough to save them. 
They were focused on what they could do. Everything was about what they could do themselves. And they were ignoring what God was wanting to give them and that that they could truly be changed from. The answer was right there in front of them. It was so simple. The answer was Jesus. Are we guilty of that today? Has coming to church become a social gathering so we can belong while we're actually dying inside because we have yet to accept the truly transformative power of Jesus? Are we working, trying to earn our salvation when it has already been earned? It's just sitting there as a gift waiting for us to accept it. These Judaizers were focused on the outward change. Paul knew that an inward change was required. So when he mentions circumcision, he's talking about God wanting a change of the heart, not of the outward appearance. We can look back all the way to Deuteronomy, and if we look at chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, it says, Circumcise your hearts. Therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. And then we see Paul writing again in Romans. If we look at chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, it says, A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. The circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. I pray. I wrote down that I hope. I pray that we understand something today that the Judaizers and the early church were struggling with. Human effort is not enough. You cannot do it. Man's insufficiency will never be enough. We should put no faith in the flesh. There is nothing you can do. There's no amount of works that we can do. We can work ourselves in the ground when the gift is just there waiting for us to accept it. See, Paul had a past. He learned the hard way. He was speaking from experience. And he references that in 4 and four through 7. He says, though I could be confident in my own effort if anyone could. And right there I just want to tell you, that was Paul just being, well, let's just be, he was, he was challenging. He said, you don't understand. If anybody could, I could. If anybody could have earned it, I could have earned it. Y'all don't know. You're not enough. Because no matter what you did, I did more. That's what he was saying in this verse. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. 
I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. See, Paul provides us with a virtual resume of how he tried to make himself righteous before God. And sometimes I think that we try to do the same thing. See, he tried by ritual. He was an eighth-day Hebrew, which means that his family was so entrenched in Jewish laws and customs that he was circumcised as soon as he could be. He wasn't a convert. The law said on eight days he was circumcised on eight days. He wasn't a Johnny-come-lately. He tried by race. He was a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. His people didn't have Gentile blood. He tried by rank. He was part of the honored tribe of Benjamin. He could trace his lineage so far back, and he knew that his tribe was the only one to stand with the tribe of Judah during the split from the northern and the southern kingdoms. Not just that. The first king of the Israelites was Saul. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. Probably who Saul, who later became Paul, was named after. He tried by tradition. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. His people didn't mix culture with the Greeks like so many others had. He tried by morality. He was a Pharisee. They were experts in the law. He tried by sincerity. He was a zealous persecutor of the church. So zealous that he was there when the first martyr happened. When Stephen was stoned to death, he would rip Christians from their homes and have them arrested. Or even worse. He tried by rule keeping. He was blameless under the law. He had followed it to the T. And was very well respected by those who practiced the law. By traditions and customs. Paul should have been the most righteous person in existence. He was doing everything right. If you went by the law. If you followed the letter of the law. Paul would have been the Jew's Jew. He was the man. If there was any hope in salvation by the traditions and customs, he would have known it. If there was any way to earn your way into righteousness, he would have done it. The unfortunate thing? The unfortunate thing is, is that when we hear a lot of the same things in the church today, when people try to justify how they are righteous before God. I'm a Christian. I go to church every Sunday. My whole family is Christians. We've been members of this church since it was founded. I serve on the usher team, children's church, host team, and sweep the parking lot every Sunday morning. Worship team might fuss me for this one, but... I sing to every worship song at the top of my lungs. I even raise my hands. I might not be perfect, but at least I haven't killed anybody. Like that's the only sin that God worries about. Right? I might have my faults, but at least I'm better than, and I'm going to let you fill that blank in. Please don't get me wrong. Worshiping is beautiful. 
Serving is great, and having a church family is powerful. But if you're counting on them to get you into heaven, stop now. You've missed the bus, and somebody needs to tell you. You don't do these things to earn your salvation. You do these things because of your salvation. I know, I know. It's hard to wrap our heads around a gift that big. I know that it is hard to wrap our heads around a love that great. Because everything in this world tells us that we have to earn our love. Everything in this world tells us that you have to work for it. Everything in this world tells us that you do not get love unless you put forth effort first. But I want us to look back at John 14, 15, where it says, if you love me, you will follow my commands. It doesn't say that if you follow my commands, I will then love you. The love that comes from Jesus, the love that comes from God is poured out on us as undeserving as we are. There is nothing that we can do. We are woefully insufficient. People try to justify their righteousness by explaining it away by the world's terms. Our righteousness is not judged in man's terms. The bar is set a lot higher than that. Jesus is the standard. And we are measured against that and him. And Paul came to realize this and found himself woefully insufficient. Instead of being comforted by all that he knew and practiced, he was left empty. Realizing that apart from faith in Jesus Christ and the grace of God, man is doomed. When this change happened in Paul's life, Paul went from being a terrorist to being an evangelist. All that, all that happened because he accepted Jesus into his heart and allowed the Holy Spirit to work. Going back to the book and we look at verse 8 through 11, it says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Look at Paul's humility in this passage. He says that next to Jesus, everything else is garbage. The King James Version says that Paul's words are even stronger. He calls it all of his accolades and all of his accomplishments before Jesus as dung. If we go back to the original Greek, it's much more vulgar. It basically translates to what hits the trail. Everything 
that he had worked so hard to build up to prove his righteousness all amounted to nothing. Now you're talking about a man who dedicated every fiber of his being. You're talking about a man who set his life on the rock of the law. Who looks back at everything that he has done to this point in his life. Everything. Everything was worthless. Paul hungered for Jesus. He was driven to know him. The knowing that's used in this passage is one that we've become way familiar with. In the Greek, it's the word gnosko, which means a deep, intimate knowledge. So this would be the knowing that comes from an intimate knowledge of Jesus. How are you going to know Jesus to the level, to that level, if you don't shut things down and spend time with him? It's just like any other relationship in your life. It takes time. You're going to get out of it what you put into it. You have to invest time in it. Paul learned something we all that we call imputation now. That we are made righteous, not by our own actions, but because what Jesus did for us. We are justified through our faith in Christ. He has paid the debt for us. See, Paul held nothing back, no holdouts. He discarded it all just for the chance to know Jesus. Now that's faith. Faith isn't living with one foot in the world and one foot in the Bible. Paul didn't ride the fence on Jesus. Paul was all in. Are you all in? Most of us like the end of verse 10 where it says, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. But we really don't like the beginning. We don't like the suffering part. We don't like the sharing in his death part. Now, I'm not talking about physical death. But what are you willing to die to? What are you willing to let go of? Do you back down when people look at you? Funny, because you don't compromise and accept a worldly life. And because you tell your friends you, don't, you won't go out with them. Tonight, uh, it's just not my life anymore. Do you back down? Oh, come on, man. Come on. Ah, you got a kitchen pass, right? You got a hall pass. You, you, the, the, the wife is okay with you going out. We're going to go out. She's out of town. Husband's away at the deer camp. We're all going. All going out. Going to tear it up on the town. What are you talking about? What do you mean you don't do this anymore? That doesn't make any sense. I remember the you that did. I remember the you that that was okay with. I remember the you that would justify that. At that point in time, are you all in enough 
to die just a little bit and suffer a little bit and say, that's not me anymore. That's not my life anymore. Because there was a before and there's an after. And I know what happened in between. And I'm not the same person. Are you willing to suffer through that for the advancement of the kingdom? Are you willing to die to that just a little bit? And let your actions further the kingdom? And let your actions preach the gospel? Well, what's changed about you? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. But I don't understand. That was you. I know you. Yeah, but things have changed. That's not me anymore. See, Paul had given up everything. All of his worldly accolades. His high standing in the Jewish religion. He found himself imprisoned, being persecuted for his beliefs. And yet he still knew that he was nowhere near the standard of Jesus. As we go into verse 12, I don't mean to stand to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on, on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receiving the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let us who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you agree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. See, the closer that Paul got to Christ, the closer he got to Jesus, the clearer his own imperfections became. The clearer his own insufficiency became. Because the closer he got to the standard, the closer he got to what everything else is judged against, the lower he saw himself. Because let's just face it, I am the best sheetrock finisher in the world as long as the lights are dim enough. But the second you shine the light on it, you can see every imperfection, every little bump, everything that I am falling short of. And the closer Paul got to Jesus, the easier those imperfections were for him to see. Paul didn't try to hide or make excuses for his flaws. He knew his failures but he also knew that the Spirit was working in him, constantly refining him to become more and more like the image of Christ. Paul gives us a three-point strategy to press on towards Christ's likeness, forgetting the past. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Don't let your past dictate where you are today. Take the time, put in the work with the Holy Spirit so that he can help you heal your past so that he can show you what's in your future. 
Because if all you do is continue to look to the past, you will never see what he is working on today, and you definitely won't see where he is leading you tomorrow. How about our victories? It doesn't say just forget the bad things. Are you still banking on the victories of yesterday? And because you're still banking on the victories that you had yesterday, while they were great, are you banking on them to carry you through today while you're ignoring what Christ is working in your life today? Are you just sitting back and looking and saying, I've made it, I'm good, I don't need to press on anymore. And in the process, you're missing everything that he has planned for you. Look forward to what lies ahead. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We can't see what lies ahead, but we know who does see it. We can put our faith in him and have our path guided. He has a purpose for us. Just be the person that God has called you to be. Press on to the end of the race. Be laser focused on the goal line. Like a marathon runner stretching out every last bit of strength he has to reach the finish line. There there comes a point when you're a long distance runner. Not that I am today. But there... In the past. Um... There comes a point where your legs are so tired. Everything in you says stop. Everything in you says stop. And you start leaning forward. Okay, if you're on a forced ruck march or anything else, if you've been in the military, you're leaning forward. You're trying to put that weight forward to where your legs don't have any choice but to keep up. You're leaning into it. You're pressing into it because you don't have a choice. Because if you stumble, you will fall. That is being all in. That is the picture that Paul paints here. You are leaning so far forward, pressing in so far to that goal line that you don't have a chance, but you don't have a choice but to keep moving forward. You have to keep moving forward. You cannot stay stuck where you are. The goal is always to become more like Jesus. It isn't you versus anyone else. It's you of today versus you of yesterday. And every step I'm getting closer and closer and closer to the standard of Jesus. And I will slip and I will fall. It will happen. And I will pick myself up and I will stand back up and I will keep going forward. That's the difference. When you grow tired, when the struggle is real, It's important that we look to those who Jesus has transformed before us. And that's what Paul starts off with when he's talking in Philippians 3, 17, where he says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are so many whose conduct shows They are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They 
are headed for destruction. Paul doesn't have teary eyes for his own circumstances. He has teary eyes at this point because he knows that not everybody's going to make it. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies of like his own. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. You can hear the agony in Paul's words. He entreats the new followers to learn from his example and to follow his lead. He's been there. He's done that. He's put faith in the flesh and it left him empty. He is hungry for the Lord and constantly seeks him regardless of his circumstances. Paul understands that where he is in Christ is better than where he was. And more importantly, he knows that where he is going is so much greater than what he could possibly imagine right now. His joy and his righteousness are rooted in his faith in Christ Jesus. His tearful warning to the Philippians is as true today. Some live in the flesh. And because of their appetites, they're going to constantly find themselves hungry. See, they go from thing to thing, trying to fill their appetite, that hole that they have in them, that they should be filling with God. They're filling that hole with things of this world, bouncing from thing to thing, hoping, hoping to quench their appetite. These worldly appetites shouldn't stray us from our course. We are citizens of heaven, and we have been transformed by the Spirit of God living in us. If we are in Christ and Christ is in us, there is no way that we should look, act, or even walk the same as before. Because it is said that the old is gone and the new life has begun. Now everybody take a breath. Breathe in, breathe out. If you can feel air coming in and going out, God's not done with you. There is so much more that he has for you. He still has plans for you. You can't settle for where you are now and think that there's nothing more. Get fed up. Get tired of where you are. Get tired of settling for survival. Just trying to trudge through day after day. I think I can make it to tomorrow. Let that go. 
You have to keep your eyes on the goal line and press into your relationship with him. Let him transform your life. D.L. Moody says, the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. Open your Bible and get into the word. It's a window into God's heart. Cover to cover, it's the greatest love story ever written. God sees where you are right now and he loves you. He has so much more in store for you. All that you have to do is open your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to help you grow in the likeness of Jesus. Get fed up. I'm not okay where I am. I know I'm not okay. I'm sitting here treading water and I'm getting tired. I can't go anymore. Nothing that I am doing is enough. Well, I'm here to tell you today it never will be. What you're doing today will never be enough because you're living life different than how it's supposed to be lived. We have an owner's manual. It tells us how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to thrive, how we're supposed to go through life day after day. And we don't open it up. And we try to put all that weight on our own backs. And we buckle and we fight and we can't take it anymore. And every time we turn around, it's something else punching me in the mouth. And I don't understand why. When in reality is you're not living life the way it's supposed to be lived. You're trying to do it on your own. It's not how you were designed. It's not how you were asked to live. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up, please. I'll get some prayer team members to come up. Because I promise you there's some people that are in here today that are struggling with what I'm talking about. Because I've been there. I'm like Paul telling you, you will not do it. You will not make it. There's only one way to make it, and that's to go back to the designer and say, Lord, I know I'm not enough. Lord, I know that you are enough. If you're feeling that today, please come up. If you're feeling that struggle today, please come up. Let somebody pray with you. Let somebody pray that you realize that it's okay to not be enough. That all that you need, all that you have to have is Jesus. All that you need, all that you have to have is Him in your life. goal line getting harder to see because of the distractions of the world do you need a fresh fire a fresh hunger do you need somebody to pray with you to relight that fire to relight that hunger struggle with it day in and day out. 
try to make it. Do everything we can to try to make it. We're treading water, God. We're not listening to what you have for us. We're fighting through it and not understanding why we're not making any headway.